This is TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And the State of the Saints podcast is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Over 2 million men worldwide choose Manscaped for all their below-the-waist needs. For those that love the lawnmower 3.0, well, I got news for you. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all through additional guards lengths, sizes 1 through 4. And looks wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil stamp black chrome manscape logo show your more off loud and proud go to manscape.com use the promo code state of saints and you will save 20 percent off of the lawnmower 4.0 as well as other manscape items that's manscape.com It is yours truly, TJ Jones, the host of the State of the Saints podcast. And we have a special guest back here on the State of the Saints podcast, college football and NFL analyst, Mike Kille. Mike, what's going on? I'm fine. Thank you. Appreciate you asking me on. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we really do appreciate your take on New Orleans Saints football and uh, there's a lot of things going on this all season. Uh, we just had the draft a couple weeks ago, and you know a lot of people were a tad bit upset about the first round draft pick, Peyton Turner, the defensive end uh, out of Houston. Uh, Mike, let's go ahead and get started there. Uh, what do you think about the Saints deciding to go edge rush in the first round of the NFL draft? Well, it surprised me. Uh, listen, like it surprised. I think 99.9% of people that they would go with the defensive lineman and Peyton Turner. Uh, I've watched Peyton play a lot of football. I know two of his defensive coaches really well. Mm. Um, you know, the thing with, with Peyton athletically, he's got everything that you're looking for. Yeah. He's a big, tall, rangy defensive lineman, seven foot wingspan. Um, he's played defensive tackle, defensive end at Houston. Right. Here's the two things that dropped him for me on my board. Mm -hmm. Had nothing to do with talent, right. but was he had ever, ever a dominant player at Houston? No, not that I The answer that. is no. He was <laughs> okay, he's not going up against SEC linemen. He's not going up against guys from Alabama or Georgia or Florida, or LSU, whatever. Uh, that's not the case. 
Right. He was a good player. He was never a dominating player in the AAC. Right. Secondly, I get it. He just missed a handful of games uh, as a player. And so, but he's had a lot of injuries. Mm. You know, I mean, he's been nicked up. Yeah. Did that have something to do with his lack of production? I have no idea. Right. But, man, anytime a guy is building up that sort of set of injuries, that sort of scares me. Because that right. tracks you into the NFL also. Yeah. And so you think about it, he tore up his knee uh, as a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two broke. I don't see how he played as a junior with two broken hands. How wow. are you playing defensive line? He's got two <laughs> broken hands. And yet he, he was playing. He had a calf injury, hamstring injury um, as a senior. Yeah. So those are the two reasons why I didn't have him ranked higher was one he was not super productive Mm. and secondly he had these nicks and scrapes and injuries okay you you can't stay healthy for a 10 or a 12 game season what happens when this gets expanded to 17 your point so here's the key he is a very talented very smart guy he's versatile is can he turn potential into production? Good point. <clears throat> and secondly, can he stay healthy? Because mm. we've seen that with Marcus Davenport. Yeah. Okay, he made that move up, uh, you know, from Texas San Antonio into the NFL when he's been healthy. Yeah. He's been a good player. He's never been a dominant guy, but he's been good player. Right. But he's hurt every year. And so I get it, you know, um, you know, Jeff Ireland was saying, oh, well, you guys don't uh, see what we see. No, we see exactly what you see. (laughs) We see exactly what you see, but you didn't add the point of why was he not a big time player in that conference? Why was he not a dominant guy? And secondly, those little nicks and injuries and everything else, uh, I think, follows a player. Uh, you know, I've done this long enough to know that, that you can get better and you can get healthy. Yeah. But some guys that just have a knack for getting hurt yeah. and some guys don't. And he did not miss many games. So, man, you got to give him a lot of credit for toughness yeah. that he played through it. And I, I give him full credit for that. But, again, I think was the injuries part of the lack of production. And we fixing to find out. Because if you're not on the field, then guess what? You're not productive. Yeah. And so um, it's going to be interesting. And I think we will see him early in this NASCAR alignment, which – really Ryan Nielsen likes to run and getting the top four pass rushers on the field at the same time. Hmm. And it's been something Ryan's talked about. Uh, and I, and I can envision having Granderson and Davenport on the ends hmm. and Cam and Peyton inside. And then you can sort of mix and match of where you want different people after that. Right. 
But you want those four guys because those are your four best pass rushers. You want them on the field at one shot. And um, you can get them all four healthy. That's going to be the case. The other thing you have to look at, too, is they're not going to tell you, but the disappointment in not being able to keep Davenport healthy mm-hmm. also is a, a part of the process with this thinking that, you know, we need somebody here. Trey Hendrickson's not around. Yeah. So we need somebody here to fill that void. And down the road, you understand that, like every player, you get old. And Cam Jordan's not getting any younger. He's yeah. still a good player, a really good NFL player. Yeah. And one of the greatest defensive players that I've ever put on the black and gold. Yeah. But yeah. there's going to come a time that, you know, you're going to have to replace him. And so it's sort of twofold here when you look at some of the reasoning behind it. One, you need to replace the production Trey Hendrickson was giving you. But secondly, the disappointment of Davenport and, you know, Cam is playing like 90% of the snaps. That's that's a ton of football. Man, he answers the bell. You talk about a competitor (laughs) and talk about a guy for playing a position that you're getting hit on a lot, virtually no time missed. And and that's a long career and you haven't missed any time. So you, you understand the position of why you got, he got selected, Mm -hmm. but it's not a negative. If you ask why he wasn't super productive and can he stay healthy for any length of time? Um, Playing through the injuries, man, goes to show is, his mental and physical toughness. And maybe that was a part of it, of why he wasn't um, more productive. But again, it's legit. It's legit questions uh, that that you throw out there. Because if he was that productive with that size, that athlete, then he wouldn't be there at 28. (laughs) Pass rushers are a premium in this world. He wouldn't have lasted to 28. So um, I think health, is going to be the big key uh, for Peyton Turner. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced of that, that that's going to be the cut with him. Um, and similar to Marcus Davenport, when he's healthy, he's a good player. Uh, but can he turn being good into great, yeah. into a, a Cam Jordan-type football player? And we're fixing to find out. But you need people up front along that defensive line. And as much as people say, well, Trey Hendrickson, he wasn't that great of a player. He was part of a system that set him up. My mm-hmm. thing is, ain't they setting up Marcus Davenport the same way? Yeah. Weren't they setting him up that way? So why mm-hmm. wouldn't he putting up those numbers? Oh, well, because he was hurt. Okay, we back to square one <laughs> with all this. So um, I get it. And, and defensive linemen are hard to find, Re- really, in today's game. Uh, I, had, I had a talk with uh, Coach Ed Ogeron at LSU about it. Mm-hmm. And I told him, you'll find the next great quarterback before you find the next great pass rusher. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, that's just part of it today because now I think seven on seven has sort of changed the world where these six foot four, six five guys, man, I don't want to play defense. You know, I want to be receiver or flex tight end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't want to play defense anymore. Yeah. It, the, Wide receiver flex tight end has become 
the glamour position. Yeah. Now, uh, for high school players, man, nobody talks to you about, well, I want to be the next uh, outside linebacker that's really good. I won't be the next defensive end that, no, they don't talk to you about that. <laughs> but they want to talk to you about, man, I won't be like Jamar Chase. I won't be like Justin Jefferson, especially down here, or Devontae Smith. That That's what they want to talk to you about. Yeah. So you get it. You, you get that that because they see it on TV. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a visual world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at I look at Peyton Turner, and I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I was uh, scratching my head in frustration because I think even the interview that Sean Payton did uh, at the Golf Classic, he didn't say anything about a pass rush. He was talking about a cornerback. He said that we need a corner, and then all of a sudden, this comes out of left field, but. Last question before we move on. We, uh, do you think the Saints uh, tried to a little bit too hard? And you know, like you know, how some players that you see in the NFL draft, they're a quick study, right? They got all the skills and intangibles that you need to start right away. But it seems like the Saints always seem to find like guys that are from like the UTSAs and are from the University of Houston's, and we'll probably think they'll probably go a route, maybe a Alabama or even. LSU, which for some apparent reason they don't draft. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Like them not really getting what people would like to consider the obvious choice, and going for those guys that you know we have to have an encyclopedia or Google in order for us to figure out who they are. Well, you know, because everybody's got a different board on mm-hmm. how they look at. So I never worry about where you come from. Right. I don't worry about your background. I don't worry about what high school you went to, college you went to. I'm worried about can you be productive in what I'm doing? Yeah. I think the big thing sometimes people get off of is fit. There's a certain fit. Yeah. Not everybody's for everybody uh, in life. And so I think they felt Peyton Turner was a good fit for them at defensive end and the ability to slide to defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really not uh, big on the fact that, okay, you didn't go to Alabama, you went to Houston, and that's a major issue. They got a lot of guys in this league that bounced all over the place, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about, okay, if J- like J.C. Horn. A lot of people wanted J.C. Okay, right. he played at South Carolina. Okay, he didn't play at Alabama or LSU or Florida or Georgia. He did play in the SEC, but he played at South Carolina. Mm. Uh, Greg Newsom uh, was, I think, once Caleb Farley, and, and man, you you struggled with that because you saw he was talented. Mm -hmm. But did you want to pick a guy with two back injuries, two back surgeries, and a potential third? Man, I'm not taking that chance with a first-round pick. Right. And my buddy John Robinson did it uh, at, at Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, John got his coaching start right up the road from where I live at Nichols State. So mm-hmm. I've been knowing John since uh, in the 90s <laughs> uh, when he was a linebacker's coach there before he went on to scout for the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And I'm not taking that chance. I'll be honest with you. I'm not taking a chance with a guy who's had two back surgeries. He's 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, we all know back people who've had back injuries, but most of them what are either middle aged or older people. Yep. And they all have the same comment to you. Well, my back feels better, but it's never the same. 
Yeah. So what that's going to mean for a 21-year-old young man, you know, same situation. Uh, but Greg Newsom went to Northwestern, okay? Mm -hmm. yep. He was a, you know, it's a Big Ten school, but I wouldn't downgrade it because of that. Same way as Trey Lance went to North Dakota State. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different with it. And so um, I don't put a lot of stock in that. Now, my thing is this. When you're playing at that level, you better be damn good. Yeah. You know, you better be you better be a cut above. Because mm -hmm. if you that talented in that and at a smaller level, then you better show you that much better. Yeah. And so it that part I get perfectly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh let's move forward about these uh LSU uh comments that Saints fans are making. You know, <laughs> Mike, it, it's not a day that, that goes by I don't get a question about LSU and the Saints drafting LSU players. Uh, do you have a problem, you know, as a, as a native of Louisiana, you know, growing up watching LSU, do you have a, a problem with the Saints, uh, I guess, like never drafting uh, LSU Tiger players? Uh, very rarely drafting. I think the last time they actually drafted one was Will Clapp. What, what are your thoughts about that? It, it's a strange twist because so much talent has come out of LSU. Okay, if this school wasn't producing a lot of players, I get it, but they are. Mm. There's only one guy that can answer that correctly, and that's Sean Payton. Come yeah. on, we all know he got his fingerprints on all this. Yep. You might say it's done by committee and Mickey got the final say and all this. Come on, we all knew it come down to Sean Payton. <laughs> Sean Payton's got to make that decision yep. on that particular deal, and he's the only guy that can answer it truthfully mm. on maybe why. I, I do believe the comments that they would have picked Terrace Marshall mm. had he been there in round two. Right. The problem became, uh, and I think even without knowledge ahead of time, come on, Joe Brady's on that staff. He coached Terrace. Yep. He was the receivers coach at LSU. People say, oh, he coached Joe Burrow. He coached the receivers. Mm. That was his job. No, I was <laughs> at practices. So I saw it. <laughs> He's coaching receivers. He was the passing game coordinator. Did he help build up uh, the concepts? Absolutely. But he wasn't there with Joe. You know, that, that wasn't the case. Yeah. He was working with Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Racing McMath. That's who he was working with. Mm. And so even before it got leaked out, that got leaked out from the agent. I'm, mm. I'm just telling you. Because <laughs> agents talk more than anybody. People who's not in this business don't understand. I get it every day. Text from agents, emails from agents. Now, they don't tell you anything specifically bad about a client mm -hmm. that they don't have, but they don't tell you nothing good either. <laughs> you know, hey, I heard so-and-so's got an issue. And, you know, man, that, you know, I, I think that's going to elevate my guy. So they do it subtly. Oh. <laughs> okay. Listen, they smart with it. That's why they're getting paid that 3%. Yeah. You know, because if I can move my guy from the 35th pick in the draft to the 30th pick in the draft, I've done my job. Yeah. Okay. And so people said, well, oh, who could have leaked that? Well, the Saints got a leaky uh, hole in the boat. No, the Saints don't. <laughs> Agent. 
found out because what happens is as you're getting close, mm-hmm. you know, you're on the phone with a player and saying, hey, listen, if you're there, we're going to pick you. So get ready. You know, right. get ready. We're going to pick you. So the agent finds that out, man. He's out telling the other clubs, hey, the Saints are going to pick him at 40th. Yeah. You know, you know. <clears throat> so, okay, you got to piece it together. Mm. Now, some teams do it a little bit more discreetly than others. They don't say squat, nothing. So maybe you got to change that up a little bit. Maybe you don't say anything to anybody. But it wouldn't have mattered with Terrace. Yeah. Joe Brady wanted him. He coached yeah. him. He wanted him. No matter if Carolina knew ahead of time, they were still going to pick him. Mm-hmm. So it's a great offseason story that means zero. Yeah. Because here's my thing. Uh how many other guys are like Marshall that a team calls said, we're going to pick you and they get picked ahead of time. Listen, that happens all the time in a draft, but for people who haven't covered the draft or looking for a story, it's great. It gives you something to write about and it gets talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, is there something there? I believe there's something there, yeah. you know, that I, you can say, well, we only have one pick in a, a round and stuff, but that there's something there. Yeah. Now, again, the only one who can tell you the truth about it is Sean Payton. Yeah. He's the only one yeah. that can tell you the truth about it. And so um, it is what it is. You got to deal with it. And, uh, yeah, listen, you know, he, I know he was close with, with Ed Ogeron. You know, I grew up with Ed, and, and I know how he feels about Sean. And, yeah, they they squared off on Ryan, okay? Yeah. But that's business. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that uh you know i wanted ryan defensive coordinator you wanted to keep ryan okay it's just business Uh, (laughs) and at the end of the day hey listen i had to do what i had to do but um he can go to coach and he can say hey coach oh hey tell me about this player what type of work ethic work habits everything else He's had a form a couple of former assistant coaches on that team. Joe Brady. Yeah. He's he's had Bill Johnson. Greg McMahon was the longtime special teams coach with the Saints. He's yep. special teams coach at LSU. So they got all kind of connections there. Yeah. Just they just haven't picked them. Yep. And so I don't think that's coincidence. Me I think that there that there's something there. And again, I can't put my finger on it. And you can defend that and say, oh, well, uh, they they really don't. Come on. You don't know. You don't know. But I'm just telling you, there is something there. Because they've had way too many guys that you've had some opportunities at. And you say, no, I'm not going to pick him. So um, I I think that that's Coach Payton won't really answer it. Because mm-hmm. we've asked him, and you know, and, oh, you know, and he, you know, we only get one pick around, and that sort of thing. But yeah. um, I, I do know one thing: if you pick an LSU player every day in practice, you're gonna get asked about that LSU player. You're gonna yeah. have to answer that question every day, yeah. every day in practice, yeah. because somebody is gonna be from Baton Rouge answering or asking you that question. Somebody from New Orleans is gonna be asking you that. I'm just telling you, um, that's part of it, because um, we saw it. Um, a few years back when they had a former LSU player who was right on the borderline in green, mm-hmm. right on Skylar green was right on the borderline of making this team yep. and every day in practice, if he didn't get one, he got two. And you <laughs> can tell, man, Sean was gritting them teeth. They didn't have too much enamel 
uh, left on it. Because uh, you get to the point of what more you want me to tell you. I just answered this question yesterday the exact right. same way. But, um, man, with all the talent coming out of LSU, that does surprise me. Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't get it. You can I, take that where it goes. And I get it because I we get asked about it all the time, too. Yeah. I tell them, are you asking the wrong cat? You know, I'm not doing the picking. Uh, I'm not doing the selections. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it, Mike. Like, if you look all around the league, I mean, these guys leave their, their footprints everywhere. Like, I mean, it would be one thing if they come to the league and they don't pan out. You can make an argument to say that they're probably in the last, I say, decade and a half, they probably generated some of the most successful football players. I mean, from – you know, defensive end, linebacker, wide receiver. You know, like they they left their mark. You know, like and I I just don't understand it. Like I, I really don't. Okay, I, here's the other thing, and it got brought out in the HBO special mm-hmm. of Saban and Belichick. Okay, they did that that sit, that one particular sit down. They did a, a story on it, mm-hmm. and Nick made the comment, and this doesn't surprise me. It goes to show the ego of some of these NFL coaches. Nick made the comment that probably 80% of the coaches in the NFL have never got on that phone and asked Nick about player. Mm. Now you think about it. He's the greatest college football coach of all time. And your ego is that big that you wouldn't get on a phone and call the head coach and say, Hey coach, uh, we thinking about drafting this guy from Alabama. Uh, kind of give me a little bit of the lowdown on it. Mm. And, and he was specific. It's a, and he said right around 80% of the guys, coaches in this league. You know, to me, that's shocking, but it goes to show the cut between, hey, I'm an NFL coach, you're a college coach. Yep. And I know more than you. And, hey, maybe you do. But man, if I had that opportunity – to tap into that mind and that work ethic part. And that guy's seen him and he's going to give me the straight lowdown. You know, most college coaches do, they're going to give you, they're going to give a tip. Now that's one in particular that I've dealt with because he was local at one time. And then he became, certainly I became a, a national coach and now he's back in the business. He has never said any one negative thing about any player he's ever had. Hmm. And you can figure it out real quick. I mean, everything is positive. No matter if you know that that guy has been trouble, he will never say it. So you stay away from that guy because he's not giving you anything you can really sort of hold on to. But I'm talking about a big-time coach and now got out of the business, now back in the business and college coaching. And he will never tell you one negative thing about a player. Never. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Uh, and, man, he, his speech is great. I mean, you know, he gives it to you, and it's really good. So you learn of who gives you the better information on a player as a head coach. But not to have 80% of the head coaches in college football, uh, 80% of the coaches in pro football not tell you that they're going to get on that phone and call Nick Saban. If you think picking LSU players is, is unbelievable, that's even more unbelievable. <laughs> but it go, again, that goes down to a little bit of, we know more, we know more than you. And so it is what it is. Well, 
I'm a, I'm assuming I think I know you who, who you're referring to. I, I'm just I just, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it, it's um, it, it's crazy the fact I I don't know I I do know that Sean Payton is a is a guy that's a, a tad bit cerebral. You know, I mean, I think sometimes like he gets in his own head, and that, that that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. You know, you see it you see it uh, in a good way when. You know, he's out there like selecting certain players, creating a locker room chemistry. But sometimes I just feel like he overthinks himself. I think the the whole LSU thing, Mike, it has a lot to do with the fact that those guys uh being close to home. I think that he feels like that might affect their, some of their decision making. So maybe he feels like by drafting those guys, he feels like by them being close to home, being multimillionaires, being around some of those familiar uh you know, territories where they grew up, they might not make the best decisions. Like I look at somebody like Dwayne Haskins, right? Uh, born and raised on the D.C. area, becomes the Washington football team, uh, you know, quarterback, starting quarterback, uh, top draft pick. You know, I mean, and he didn't make the right decisions. Now he's playing for the Steelers right now. So I don't know if that may have something to do with it. That's the I only think, logical I explanation you, I can think of. I think you have a, a bit in a piece there. Because that doesn't apply to everybody, but yeah. I've had two former LSU players mm-hmm. tell me that basically the Saints felt, hey, listen, I think it's best. We really like you, but maybe it's best you kind of get away from home. Because yeah. they maybe pe- feel people around them uh, that you're close to were going to steer you in the wrong direction. Right. And, you know, if that's the case, hey, so be it. But that's not for everybody. Come on. Yeah. Uh, th- that's for uh, – that. there is a small group of those players that maybe it's difficult to get away from friends you've known for life and maybe they've had issues. Yeah. And they don't, they're not looking what's best for you. Mm-hmm. They're looking what's best for them. Yeah. And, and, listen, we all got people like that in our lives, every yep. one of us. Yep. If you have any amount of success – there is that part of that around you that people kind of hang with you want to be around you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think it's more that there's a little more to that, but I could see that in some circumstances where you have a player or two that maybe, man, you really like them, but maybe it's best they get away from home, you know, Uh, and you can kind of see, Maybe the people they're around are, are not the best for them. And it's best for them uh, to leave. And, and just yeah. like anything else, uh, sometimes you got to make that difficult decision. But uh, yeah. uh, somewhere down the line, I think maybe when Sean maybe retires from the NFL, he'll, he'll give us a much. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he will. You know, uh, hopefully. hopefully <laughs> I just don't understand it. I, I'm sorry. You know, like being a – a native, uh, born and raised in New Orleans. Uh, I've watched my fair share of LSU games. I've seen how talented these these guys are, and it, it just does not make much sense to me. Like, why you don't at least? Are you telling me like at least the first three, four rounds you can't draft like one LSU player? Like, uh, and they're not going to be, you know, beneficial to your team. I mean, it, it it doesn't make sense. I mean, you can look around the division itself. Like, you know, Devin White, I mean, to me, he almost single-handedly 
brought the division of you know that wild card, you know that divisional game in the playoffs. Like he basically single handedly won that game on his own. You well, know, my thing with Devin, is, I think if Devin would have been there when they picked, they'd have picked him. Yeah. I mean, you know, and some of it certainly, and, and I'll take up from on this way, some of them, they kind of peeled off the board before the Saints had an opportunity to pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about people, not necessarily maybe first round pick people, but people down the line yeah. that were available and you made that decision. So yeah. uh, one of the guys I thought they may pick this year is Racy McMath. Uh, Racy New Orleanian played at LSU, but Racy was a great special teams player. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people call me that kind of double scout. Uh, yeah. They may be a Pac-12 uh, scout, and they're sort of looking at another player. Right. And so the two I got most about from LSU was one, Jacoby Stevens. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because of the fact, I think Jacoby is a hybrid player. He's kind of part linebacker, part safety. Mm-hmm. But the, the league is built like that for yeah. those type players. And I remember when Jacoby first came to LSU, he played wide receiver. And then yep. he took a look around that room. Man, hey, Coach, you better move me. I mean, you know, man, look all these guys playing receiver. You better move me. And um, the other one was racing. And, you know, one of the things I brought up to everybody is you know, he never developed big time as a receiver. But, man, he's a great special teamer. I mean, not good, great special teams player. And the Titans, you know, they they peeled him off the board. And so, um, you know, listen, I'm sure that's a much better explanation than I can give you. But that's only one guy that can do it. That's only one guy that can really give you that full explanation on exactly why uh, they haven't picked uh, LSU players and – it's it's surprising sometimes. It really yeah. is. Yeah, I just hope that in the future they'll, they'll start selecting some of those guys because I mean, once again, they're leaving their footprints all around the NFL. Yep, they sure are. Leg- legendary, uh, creating legendary careers. I mean, all over the place. Super Bowl championships, borderline Hall of Fame. So, but let let's talk now <clears throat> about Jameis Winston. Uh, Jameis Winston uh, really been putting his foot forward this all season, being extremely proactive. Uh, working out with uh, some of his teammates, some of the wide receivers, running backs. Uh, James, James Winston seems to me like he, he's really trying to change the narrative of what a lot of people think about him. Uh, what are your thoughts on James Winston being as proactive as he is, uh, getting these other guys involved and trying to develop a level of chemistry with some of the Saints players? He did the exact same thing at Tampa. Okay, mm-hmm. he worked out <clears throat> with the receivers at Tampa, similar manner. So, um, you know, I think the the work ethic part for me with Jameis was I, I know he's going to give everything he's got, right. and he's very talented. There are some traits that I think I'll, I'm interested in how Sean is going to be able to shave some of that off because we've seen sort of the roller coaster with Jameis as a passer. Right. where he gets hot and he's really, really looks good. And in other times not. And I, I think that is a little bit to do with habit. Right. I've always had that ability that I can get that ball in a tight window and I'm going to take that chance. Right. Uh, for a guy like Breeze or Manning or Brady, who doesn't have that tight arm talent, mm-hmm. they did it a different way. 
and it's about timing and everything else. So, uh, listen, I'm thrilled that he has taken that over and that he's working with these Saints receivers and running backs and tight ends and everything else. He did it at Tampa uh, in a similar manner, and he's dedicated uh, to being the guy, and he's the guy. You, man, you can debate this all you want. And people say, well, it's an open contest. Open? Man, open for what? Uh, I'm just telling you, it is Jameis's job yep. in 2021. Now, how far it goes beyond that is what Jameis is going to do in 2021 as the starting quarterback. And so um, I, I think it all boils down to this. One, the offense is going to look a little different. Because mm-hmm. Sean's going to adapt to what Jameis can do best. Right. Uh, Drew, Drew was one thing. Jameis is another. So everybody has strengths and weaknesses of that game. But Sean is going to adjust this narrative that some people put out there that Sean is going to run the same offense. Man, come on. That, that makes no sense. None. Absolutely none. So I do think you're going to see an adjustment there. I think what Sean would like to do is to try to get Jameis to be a more consistent downfield passer. Yeah. I think that's the part that is the unknown. No one can tell you yes or no definitively mm-hmm. of how well that's going to work out. Because the one thing you got to say about Drew was he was consistent, man, you know, game in, game out, uh, year in, year out. Even as an old Pops quarterback, as I would say, (laughs) he was still consistent in what he did. Now, the problem became, we saw it the last two years, his inability to stretch the field. And you saw that safety more in the box than you ever saw before. But early on, it wasn't like that. Come on. And they had uh, Devery Henderson, Robert Meacham that could stretch the field. So I think Sean's going to adjust the offense to more what Jameis does best. And secondly, and the biggest question, can he be a more consistent passer and stay away from the turnovers? (laughs) Because that's going to be what drives Peyton up the wall is the turnovers part. Yeah. of the game and defensively you know you got a big hole at corner but mm-hmm. you're a better defensive team today than say you were in like 2016 come yeah. on you got more talent on defense today you still have a big hole at corner and that has to be filled i don't care what the team says oh we don't necessarily need another corner that's a bunch of horse hockey everybody <laughs> knows better than that they but if i say it oh, man, we really need another veteran corner. Then every top veteran cornerback who's not signed, okay, if I wanted $4 million a year, now I want five. I I know I got you. I got you by the teriyaki. You can't move. (laughs) And so what I think the Saints are doing is saying, "Ah, I think we're pretty good at the cornerback position now and knowing that they're going to have to add. And I I use the term plural, cornerbacks. Hmm. Hmm. Because you don't know what the league is going to come down on Lattimore with. Yeah. And, okay, today, P-Rob is healthy. Yeah. What happens if you have an injury? Then where do you go Good point. with this? Yeah. Uh, 
I, I like Paulson Adebo a lot. Um, I scouted I him for a college team when he was at Mansfield High School in Texas. Uh, Paulson, track athlete, played a little bit of basketball, uh, played a little bit of basketball. Wasn't great at it, but he, he played a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. But and played a lot of receiver. And you can see in his play, he plays the ball like a receiver. He thinks yeah. it's his. And so, uh, and I'll never forget, he had verbally committed, I think, fairly early in the process to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So he goes visit Notre Dame in early January. And then he goes to Palo Alto, California the next week. Man, look, you've been in South Bend, Indiana in the wintertime. And then you go out to California. Man, that was a pretty easy choice. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, it, it is nice yeah. uh, out there in the wintertime. And so he ends up there. And I know I'm getting old in this business because David Shaw, the head coach there, I knew his dad, Willie. Wow. Willie was the secondary coach for the Saints under Mike Ditka. Wow. So, uh, so David's dad actually coached here in New Orleans with Mike. Uh, he was a secondary coach, so I knew I knew where David kind of butted the bread. Right. You know, he, you know that that was his gig. You know, mm-hmm. he knows defensive backs, and I like Paulson Adebo a lot, and I think he'll get some playing time, and I think eventually he's going to become a starter in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't know about year one, and it's yeah. sort of the same thing about Pete Werner. Um, I knew his dad a little bit because uh, mm-hmm. he certainly he played in the NFL with mm-hmm. the Eagles and the Jets. Right. I remember when he came out of Indiana, he was one of the top-ranked guys there. And he, he looks at that linebacker room year one and is like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, but he became a really good special teams player as a freshman, three-year starter, smart. Yeah. He's a like a B-plus student all the way across the board. Yeah. Really, really. He knows it. He can run the field well, good in the pass coverage part of the game. He's been good when they've used him as a blitzer. So he's a good B-plus guy. So I like picks two and three. And I think they'll see some playing time as rookies. Now, can they crack into the starting lineup is the big question mark. And Pete has an opportunity because his toughest competition is Zach Bowen, who we haven't hardly seen at all. Yeah. And at this time a year ago, we talked about it. Man, all kind of write-ups. Man, Zach Bond's a good cover guy. And my thing is, what? Did you watch <laughs> Zach Bond at Wisconsin? He yeah. was an up the field, get after the quarterback, sort of edge pass rusher. Yeah. And he ran the field well. Now, in the short coverage part of the game, he did a little bit of that. But he wasn't kicking back in reverse. Come yeah. on. that They didn't ask him to do a lot of that. Yeah. But some people had them numbers – uh, or like Bobby would say, them statisticals to tell you that they did. <laughs> come on, that come on, that that was a showpiece deal. Okay, if you got that from the team, that's great. But it wasn't reality at that point yeah. that he needed some work on there, and also what I call angle uh, tackling. You was, you saw a couple games, one against Minnesota on Christmas Day. He's got an angle on the on the running back, and he misses it. Mm. So that's who Pete Werner's going up against. That yeah. That's his shot uh, up against Zach Bond, who we haven't really seen a lot of. Right. And uh, But Paulson's got an opportunity because of the lack of numbers yeah. at, at the cornerback position. So, okay, you throw Paulson Adebo in there. You got P. Rob. You got Lattimore. P.J. Williams is really uh, best suited to play that, that dime safety. 
He's yep. pretty good at that. He that's his calling. Yep. And listen, they had nickel and dime. Nickel is like 76% of the time. Mm-hmm. Dime is in the high 60s. So you could play three quarters of a starter. Man, you need some, you need some players at corner right now. Yep. You know, I, it doesn't matter how you cut it. You need another veteran guy, and I think two players at cornerback to go to camp with because you don't have the numbers. And, you know, again, you might sign a a free agent guy. And I like Bryce Thompson a lot Mm. from Tennessee. I thought he'd be a draft pick. Um, I scouted him when he was running back in high school at South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And that's what he played. He played on offense. When he goes to Tennessee, they put him on defense. And it's rare that you see a guy make that quick of a change. He was good. He played out on the edge at corner. He played in the nickel. And also he played the dime safety. So he's played all three positions, Bryce. And so, um, but again, man, if you get an injury or two at corner, and you know what's going to happen, it's not going to be the spot where you got a lot of bodies. It's going to be the one spot that you weak. That's where you're going to get an injury. I mean, yeah. just so happens, that's just the way it is. Yeah. But you don't have the money to do it at this stage. And if you say, I desperately need a corner, everybody who's got a corner available saying, man, come on, show me that money because uh, I know you need it. Yeah. But so that'll be interesting over the next couple of months. Can the Saints do a long-term deal with Ryan Ramchak, Marcus Williams? Yeah. Because then that frees you up money to go out and get you uh, a cornerback or cornerbacks. Yeah. yeah. One name, and this is the final question. One name is Richard Sherman. Uh, Richard Sherman, he was on a Stephen A. Smith show, and he talked about a couple of teams that, you know, uh, asked, you know, about possibly him signing with them. I mean, it was two of his former teams, which is the 49ers and the Seahawks. The others were the Raiders and the Saints. And if you look at Richard Sherman, right, uh, I mean, he came out of Stanford, just like Paulson Adebo. Uh, He played wide receiver at Stanford and, you know, had a little bit of wide receiver, just like Paulson Adebo, about the same size. I mean, and also Paulson Adebo is going to the guy who helped uh, to develop Richard Sherman and Chris Richard. Do you think that this would be a great or really good landing spot for Richard Sherman? You know, because you look at Richard at this stage of his career, he's the bridge to the next guy. Okay. You understand he's not here long-term. He's a rent player, but a good one. I still think Richard Sherman can play Mm -hmm. and play very well in the NFL, but Richard's not coming here. You know, you know, he's not the red cross and I'm not doing you a favor. (laughs) Come on. You got to pay me a little bit here. And, And if I'm Richard, why should I sign now? Hmm. Because I think I'm more valuable down the road. And uh, it sounds morbid, but I've had enough agents tell me this. You know, if we haven't signed by now, I always tell my client, you know, just be patient because that's going to have an injury. Something's going to happen in the offseason or early in training camp, guy's going to go down at your position. Right. And we in a better shot financially at that, at that point in time. And I get it. Okay. But you got to be patient with it. And Richard's his own agent. Yeah. 
okay? We all know Sean always has praised Richard Sherman. Man, he he has, he's really buttered the bread on Richard <laughs> on how good of a player he is. Right. And Sean always respects a guy that respects the game and is cerebral and puts all that effort into film time and keeping his body in great shape yeah. and everything else. So it wouldn't surprise me. Also, it wouldn't surprise me that he head back to San Francisco. Hmm. You know, I take a look at that roster and I say, man, you know, we got beat up last year, yeah. you know, in San Francisco, really got beat up, but healthy, that roster is a playoff team. Yeah. And so, I'd be shocked if he went to Las Vegas. Las Vegas, come on. He ain't going nowhere. I mean, you know, that, that, that team is stuck in neutral. Yeah. So, uh, and I could understand even Seattle to a certain extent, but I, I really think it comes down to New Orleans where I can step in. I'm the guy. I'm the starter opposite Lattimore. Right. Or I go back to San Francisco where I know the system. I know the scheme. I know the players around me. I know the head coach, GM, real well. And um, it wasn't a bad breakup. Because right. sometimes, you take, I think you get where something happens and you feel it's a bad breakup. Right. You know, but it wasn't that way with the 49ers and Sherman. So um, I'd love to see Richard Sherman on this team. I think yeah, he'd be too. a really nice addition uh, to this lineup. But again, uh, you, you got to pay me too. I'm not coming here, you know, on no discount. You know, I'm, I'm coming here. Yeah. Come on. I, I want my, my fair share of what I should get paid. Yeah. And I'm going to help you with the young corners and, and sort of also maybe put an arm around Lattimore and say, Hey, listen, uh, you know, me and you, man, I'll teach you part of the game. Cause you know, the game, right. but, you know, there are other parts of this that you and I, I mean, we can get together and we understand one another really well. Yeah. And uh, with a Debo kind of being his mentor into that. Uh, my fear is if you put too much in the kind of breadbasket of P-Rob, he's going to get hurt. Yeah. Because the more you play him, you know, especially at his age, you're going to get, he's going to get hurt. And then what else do you have at that stage? And don't mm -hmm. tell me P.J. Williams. Oh, no. Okay. No. You know, PJ, PJ playing outside, that, that's not a good song. No, no, but it's not. PJ playing that dime safety, that he can do very, very well. So I'm just saying, to me, it looks, doesn't it look like plural to you? Yeah. Not just one. You talking, I'm talking about two corners yeah. that you got to bring in here. And because injuries are not something that might happen, right. they will happen. So you got to adjust to when that moment comes. Yeah. I'm interested to see what Keith Washington can do. I know that's not a name that everybody, uh, you know, puts I like, out there. Yeah. Uh, TJ, I like Keith, but he's built like this. Man, I was built like that at one time, too. I mean, many years ago. I Man, I was skinny. Uh, but Keith, Keith is really, really thin. Now, I liked what I saw of Keith. In that he matched up well, one-on-one -on -one coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, what you saw was the bigger, more physical receiver sort of what I call knife them. You know, they give him a shoulder or an arm, and they get away. Yeah. Um, and when you're that thin, I mean, he's thin. He's yeah. really thin. Yeah, I know. Uh, and how much more can you put on that body? 
and then it affects your speed and your quickness. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Keith as a player, but the physicality part of the game, man, you look at these receivers today, man, you know, you're like, what, you play receiver? And I see it from the high school ranks. Man, these six foot four guys, they 210 pounds in high school mm. playing receiver. And you like, whoa, <laughs> you know, that, that's a big receiver. When they get in the NFL, you see all these king size guys. We saw like pictures of Mike Thomas working right. out this offseason. Take a look at Mike and yeah. how he's, you know, he is really buffed up now. Right. And that's what you see every week. It's not every once in a while, every week. You yep. see in these big, tall, real physical receivers, how well Keith will be able to match up against them right. physically. Because athletically, right. he, he can match up yeah. speed, quickness. But it's, and you, you can see it, these bigger guys that kind of give them that elbow, give them that little shove. And then, you know, again, a 230-pound man is stronger than a 185-pound man. Come on, that. You know, the Greeks figured this out long ago. Give me the big guy who's more physical than the smaller guy. Yeah. So um, I, I'm interested in Keith's development, certainly. Uh, but he's awfully thin. Yeah. yeah. He definitely uh, he, he definitely need a sandwich, you know, like what they call a steak sandwich and some, and some little bit of wheat protein. But I think that I think he'll be fine. You know, like I, I'm just interested to see what he can do. I heard some whispers like in last year's training camp that he was doing a good job. So hopefully, uh, you know, this yeah, he, season he, he really did. Yeah. He really did. And in, in some of the practice sessions, you could see he matched up well. He plays the ball well in flight. Yeah. yeah but uh, My problem is not that. My problem is how well he is going to go up game in, game out against. Uh, man, you, know, you see a guy like Chase Claypool with the Steelers. And yeah. chases like you. If you look any better, you'd swear he plays tight end, yeah. you know, because he's a big man. Right. Uh, even Jawan, yeah. you know, Jawan's two hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he was like, "Wow, it's yeah. the evolution of the game, and it's something. This is not your daddy or your grandpa's NFL anymore. Yeah, you know, those guys look different out on the edge, and you can't get." Corner's too much bigger, okay? You're not – that's no six-foot-four corner, yeah. okay? You know, so you can see the little bit of football chess here. If I got a quarterback that can hit you in stride, one, if I'm six-foot and 190 pounds and I'm up against a six-foot-four, 225-pound receiver, mm -hmm. I might be faster than him. Yeah. But I'm not as big and always physical. That ball's in there. I'm have a difficult time getting to it. And yeah. man, the way they play football today, it's it's almost like basketball, like a big basketball forward. The ball's up against the rim, you know, I'm getting it. It's like a rebound. Yeah. And so you have to adjust so well. And that's the scary position. People say, Well, man, I'm worried about Jameis and that. Okay. And I get that because you don't, it's the, a little bit of the unknown. Right. And what I'm scared of is that corner. Yeah. That that to me right now, I would I would be petrified to enter a season and what I have at corner right. and knowing and not knowing what the NFL will do with Marshawn and P Rob getting up in age. And and I'm like, I gotta put all this 
on Paulson Adebo or Keith Washington, man, yeah. uh, I wouldn't feel real confident about that. Yeah, I mean, this is a passing league. You know, if you yep. don't have guys on the outside that can cover uh, some of these number one and number two wide receivers, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long day. You know, and it's gonna be hard for you to stop anybody. And if you don't have an offense, especially like if you have a, a, a offense that's uh, got a brand new quarterback and they're trying to develop chemistry, that might be an uphill battle. Uh, but Mike, uh, thank you so much for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast. Thank you for your football mind, the the, the, the historical uh, uh, stuff that you brought to the show as well. I know everyone enjoyed it, but uh, let everybody know how they can uh, find you and get in touch with you. Uh, SaintsReport.com, also MikeDetelier.com, and on the uh, SI uh, Saints News Network. Yeah, so check them out. Uh, we always look forward to your commentary, you know, on the air at WWL, along with Bobby A. Bear and just all the stuff that you're doing out there with Matt Moscona, you know, ESPN. We always enjoy Fair everything enough. that you do. <laughs> so we really do appreciate you, Mike, and uh, thank you once again for being a part of the State of the Saints podcast. Uh, State of the Saints podcast is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Uh, use the promo code State of Saints, and you'll save 20% off of all Manscaped items. They are available right now. Once again, that's manscaped.com. Mike, thank you so much, and you take care. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, buddy. You're doing a great job. All right. Thank you.